0: Thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. We thank you, God, that you have um, called us here together and uh, we get to read your word in the comfort of this place. We pray that you would help us to listen carefully, help us to um, put into practice your words and trust in you as a result. Amen. We're going to have a a little Q&A at the end as well if there's any questions or comments. So... As I said, the, the concept of redeemer, is not, it's not an uncommon concept, is it? We might see movies, and some of my favourite movies are apparently about redemption, although I'm not quite sure it's really the redemption that we're talking about. That movie, The Shawshank Redemption, have you seen that? It's a great movie. I'm not quite sure that's actually about redemption. Anyway, we'll see. Um, but it's not really language we use a lot of these days. So the other day I, I, was, I was trying to think as, as many examples as I could of this concept of of rescue, of saving, uh, freedom from. And just as I was brainstorming away, up jumped our, our cat Neo. Neo the cat. Now some of you would know Neo. Here's a nice picture of Neo, uh, relaxing. Um, this is Neo our cat. Uh, <laughs> So Neo is the cat. If you haven't been here at various times in the ten AM service, Neo is the cat that comes and joins us in our service. At you know really important moments too, just when we're really talking about something uh, significant, here comes Neo and plays around in the drum kit. We have to lock her, lock him away. Um, uh, I don't know. It's, it's it's hard to keep him in actually. But there's Neo. Now um, actually he thinks he, he really does think he owns the place. He comes in during the week and sort of sleeps in the corner and. Anyway, it's more like I have to ask permission to use the building from Neo. Now, Neo is a rescue cat. You heard of that concept of a rescue cat. You get rescue dogs as well. He's not our first rescue cat. Uh, we've had a, had a few. And um, if Michelle and Eve had their way, I think we would have numerous rescue cats. In fact, I believe I'm the, I'm the only thing that's stopping Michelle being one of those cat ladies, you know, with lots of cats. Is that right? Yeah, yeah it probably is. Yeah. Now, rescue cats or dogs are rescued at first from their own dire circumstances, so some sort of abandonment, whatever it might be. And if all goes well, they're rescued again from the animal shelter uh, and then given new homes, given safety and given new life. Or we could put it this way, they are redeemed cats or redeemed dogs. That's the concept we're thinking of. Now, of course, in that example, well, the sad reality is without such rescue or redemption, these animals would be put down. They can't stay in the animal shelter forever. They're, you know, they cost money. Rescue cats like Neo need a redeemer. And the Thomas family was Neo's redeemer. Now, that redeemer concept, well... Was not unfamiliar to the average Israelite either. In fact, redemption is part of their DNA. It goes right back to the time of the Exodus. You remember that story, the Exodus from Egypt? The Israelites were rescued out of slavery. They were in trouble, they were in deep trouble. And God came to their aid. So He sent the plagues, uh, He parted the Red Sea so they could escape. It was a mighty act of rescue, and from that point on, Israel referred to God as their redeemer, the one who rescued them from slavery. You can read about it in Exodus 15, Psalm 78, Isaiah 47, Isaiah 63, and so on. It pops up all the time. In one sense, Israel began as a nation with redemption. And so this principle of redemption became enshrined in the law that God gave the people through Moses. God told them in the law that he wanted them to be redeemers also. Now, here's how it worked. I'm going to give you three examples of how this concept of redemption was enshrined in the law. A couple of them you might recognise from our story from Ruth. So, for example, when an Israelite family became very poor and had to sell their land to survive, the nearest male relative, called a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer, depends on which version of the Bible, had the responsibility of rescuing them from poverty, buying back their land, and restoring it to the family. This was called the redemption of property. And you read about it in Leviticus 25, the sort of the second half of the chapter. Also in Leviticus 25, another example, if they become so poor that they had to sell themselves into slavery, a rich relative had to rescue them by buying their freedom. It's another redemption, isn't it? Another example. If a man died, leaving his widow without children, ring any bells? Ruth, Naomi? Their nearest male relative had to step in and marry his widow and enable her to have children so they could inherit the family property and keep it in the family, keep the family line alive. It's another kind of redemption, isn't it? Now, in this kind of situation, marriage is not so much about romantic love, is it? No. Remember, we heard that last week. Marriage here was really more about ensuring the family survived and it's about keeping the property in the family. But not our man Boaz. Not for our man Boaz. Boaz was different, wasn't he? Because Boaz loved Ruth. Boaz wanted to marry Ruth. It wasn't just about money and property. He loved her. But first he had to consider Naomi. And also the little bit of land that she owned, we find out. And was looking to sell so she could survive. So that brings us to scene one, chapter four. And our first redeemer. I wonder if he was the one of the ones that you picked out. So Redeemer number 1, verses 1 to 13. Chapter 4 begins with Boaz heading off to the town gate. Uh, that was the place where business got done. That was the place where hands were shaken, uh, complaints were settled, disputes were sorted out, and all in the presence of witnesses. Now I was trying to think, where, where in Robertson is that sort of place? Is it the pub? Is it the skate park? Sometimes. Um, Maybe it's at the bowling club. I, don't know. I couldn't really think of a spot that's like that. But for Bethlehem, it was the town gate. That's where you'd get these things sorted out. So Boaz headed off to the town gate and expected to get his business done that day, uh, his business about Naomi and Ruth. In fact, what we read from the last verse in chapter 3 also is that Naomi expected the business to get done that day as well. Well, he's in luck, isn't he? Let's go to verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. How about that? It's a bit of luck, isn't it? Uh, Is it luck? Is it just a coincidence? Nah, it seems something else is going on, isn't it? Perhaps someone else is directing things, working behind the scenes, putting the pieces together exactly where he wants them to be. Rings a bell, doesn't it? Remember chapter 2, verse 3? Ruth ended up gleaning in Boaz's field. As it so happened, we read. As it so happened. Someone else is directing things, working behind the scenes. Well, the tension rises a little bit here in the story in verse 1. Here is the man who is a closer relative than Boaz. He has the most entitlement to act. What will he do? Ruth and Boaz's future depend on it. Don't send out the wedding invitations just yet. What's going to happen? Now, there were, of course, some dodgy ways Boaz could get his way here. Uh, Dodgy ways that Boaz could get the girl and get the property and keep going. You know, he he could. He could have him kneecapped down some dark alley in Bethlehem. He could do that, you know. He um, He could make some threats. He could have done that. He could have got his men to make it look like an accident. Now, we laugh a bit here. You know, that's a bit of a silly thing to say, but it's actually not that silly. Because remember, this was the days of the judges where everyone did as they saw fit. It's not unheard of to make threats and kill people so to get what you want. Well, of course, though, that's not Boaz, is it? That's not Boaz, not our man Boaz. He's an honourable man. That's why he came to the town gate in the first place. He wants to do it right. That's the honourable thing to do. Go to the town gate, get it sorted, have witnesses, and so on. So Boaz, in verses 3 to 4, explains the predicament to this redeemer. We don't get a name for him. Um, The first of our four in this chapter, this uh, kinsman redeemer we meet. Verse 3 to 4. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you, redeem it, sorry, if you will redeem it, do so. But if, not, uh, if you will not, tell me so that I will know. <coughs> For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. <coughs> I will redeem it, he says. Oh, huh. all, right, all right, problem solved. Okay, we'll see you guys later. Uh, not quite. Not, not quite. Boaz, Boaz hasn't mentioned something, has he? Now, is he being a little bit sneaky here? I actually don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think he's an honorable man, and, he, and he's getting into it. But he hasn't mentioned Ruth yet, and he really has to. So verse 5, Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Right. Okay. There's a woman. And there's a young woman as well. And we all know women are expensive. LAUGHTER that's what's going on here. See, but it's good news for Boaz. This redeemer is not the romantic type. He's a money man. He's crunching the numbers in his head and all he sees is pain and loss on his bank statement. If he takes on the field, he has Ruth and Naomi to look after. And that's expensive. And in the end, he, he can't keep the field anyway. The field has to go to Ruth's sons or Ruth's Sons and daughters, Ruth's children. So verse six, this guardian redeemer turns it down, as it would endanger his own estate or bank balance." Now I reckon, at this point in the story, Ruth uh, sorry, Boaz, across his face comes a little smile. And I wouldn't be surprised a little fist pump. Yes. Yes. This is what I was hoping for. This is what I was hoping for. And now he could marry Ruth with a clear conscience. And he does that in verse 13. And God not only blesses them by directing the circumstances to bring them together, we've seen that already, but he blesses them with a son as well. And in verse 11, all the elders and those at the town gate also bless them, they pray for them, and uh, wish them well. So it's the end of scene one. Number one, Redeemer, exits stage left and effectively makes way for Redeemer number two. And in fact, number three and number four as well. The second redeemer is, of course, yeah, say it with confidence, Boaz. Yes, it's Boaz. He's quite the contrast, isn't he, to um, this first redeemer. Boaz steps up to his responsibilities. The first guy didn't. Boaz is motivated by love. The first guy is motivated by money. The first redeemer was dishonorable and found an easy way out of his predicament. Boaz was honorable. The first guy was a failed redeemer. Boaz was not. Well, in verses 14 to 16, we meet our third redeemer in the story. Let's move on to this third redeemer. Verse 14. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who has this day who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer? May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter in law, who loves you and who is better to you than our seven sons, has given birth, are given him birth. Verse 16 Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. Now, do you notice a couple of things here? Did you notice that the baby is in... Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, the, the, in verses 14 to 16, skipping back there again, uh, who's this redeemer? Who's this redeemer? Well, th- these verses can only really mean one thing. This baby is our number three redeemer. There's our number three. Who Naomi had laid in her lap and cared for. This baby is another another redeemer. He's a gift from Ruth to Naomi. He's also a gift from Boaz, but most importantly, he's a gift from God. God's final answer to Naomi's emptiness and bitterness. This child, in verse 16, will renew her life and support her in her old age. A little technical thing here, but in verse 14, uh, the NIV says kinsman redeemer. The word kinsman isn't there. Uh, It just says redeemer, and that's important for what we're trying to understand as well. This little baby would grow up and support Naomi in her old age. This child will renew her life. But just as significant, though, this baby, our third redeemer, is a baby born in Bethlehem, which all of a sudden in the story changes our focus a little bit, doesn't it? Bethlehem. Hmm. That's a town I know well. Uh, it did just our focus in the story to the future and not just the near future, But the distant future and the book of Ruth, well, that's how the book of Ruth ends, isn't it? Now, what about our fourth Redeemer? The fourth Redeemer in our story. Uh, They say uh, the answer to most Bible questions is either God, Jesus, or Bible. I'm going to tell you it's one of those. All right? Okay, so Redeemer number four. Let's go to verse 17. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Let's notice a couple of things here. The baby is not in Ruth's lap. It's in Naomi's lap. And second, the baby is named not by Boaz, but by the women of Bethlehem. In other words, this points us to the fact that something is going on here that's not the norm. Something is going on here that the that well the parents could not have predicted and really cannot control. This child has larger significance than just being their new little baby boy. The baby turns out to be the grandfather of King David. And that's just the beginning. This royal line continued right through the Old Testament and into the New until it reached its climax in another baby born in Bethlehem. We read about that baby in Matthew chapter 1. And just in case we nodded off for a minute there and we missed how important this was, Matthew reproduces the last four verses of Ruth in Matthew chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. What happened here in Bethlehem in the days when the judges ruled might seem small to us. Ah, A little bit insignificant. It's just a baby, isn't it? No, no, no. No, in the big scheme of things, this was huge. Was this second baby born in Bethlehem also a redeemer? You betcha. Matthew 1.21 says, You are to give him the name Jesus, that's the, angel to, the sir, angel to Joseph, because he will save his people from their sins. And we know that save is just another word for redeemer. And Jesus made this clear, didn't he, why he came? He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to redeem people. And as we read on the New Testament, Jesus came not just for Israel, but for all people, all nations, whatever their background. And that's that Ephesians 2 reading we had. People just like Ruth the Moabite. So Ruth was a sign of this greater reality to come. Friends, Jesus came to redeem us from our sin, the sin that breaks our relationship with God, He came to redeem us from the emptiness of a life without God and from the judgment we deserve for rejecting God. He did this when he died on that Roman cross 2,000 odd years ago. So the Apostle Peter, speaking to Christians, he he writes this, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Jesus. So there's our fourth Redeemer in Ruth. Jesus, the greatest Redeemer of all. A redeemer that was part of God's plan from the very beginning. God's plan in providing for his people. Bringing them back to himself. Uh, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, Obed, so on. You and I are all part of that sovereign plan of God. Indeed, I think that's what Ruth teaches us. When you look back over the four chapters, that is the overriding truth of God's sovereign Care and control, that is, King of this world. The overriding truth of God's sovereign care and control, which even extends to the little details in our lives, but also to the spectacular provision of providing a Redeemer for you and I. Now, I wonder, friends, I wonder, as we think back about that, and this, it, this ought to be our fear for our church. I would think. I wonder if the sovereignty of God has become little more than lip service from us. Do we really trust that God will have you precisely where he wants you? Think about that for a minute. Do you really trust that God has you precisely where where he wants you right now? That God is working out his purposes irrespective of our good and bad decisions? Do we really trust him that he's doing that? Or maybe we work so hard, we live and play so hard in an attempt to control every aspect of our lives, covering all the bases, and that means we sort of push God out. We're just going to do our own thing here and work, play, live so hard. Or just maybe in in our despair, maybe that's you today, in your despair, We remove God. In our emptiness and bitterness, we question whether God has anything good for us at all. You're not alone if you think that. That's Naomi, isn't it? No, no, God actually calls us to live as faithful people like Ruth and Boaz, confidently trusting in God's care, God's church, God's gospel. Friends, I want to say to you that it is the sovereignty of God God's care and control of this world, our lives, that frees us up to live as faithful people. God's got this. He's got you. So let's trust him. Let's trust him. It's a sovereignty that ensures that God's great purposes are fulfilled on a great cosmic level, but also on an individual level in your life and mine even when we are like Naomi in our despair. So let's be confident of God's care. Uh, Even in our own little detailed decisions, he does not find it difficult to have us exactly where he wants us. And let's refuse to follow the world. Let's talk again about the living God who is involved in in my life in every step of the way and bring it to that great conclusion when those who have trusted him Stand around the front throne of heaven and say worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb to receive all glory and honour and power. Why don't I pray? And then uh, I'll leave a moment if anyone's got a question or comment. We'll continue. Father, we thank you that in your sovereign care and control of this world, you have indeed got us. But maybe may we not be like those people, uh, may we not, not be people who push you away, but trust you in your sovereign care and control. Lord, we thank you for the example of Boaz and Ruth, even the example of Naomi, who struggled but trusted you in the end. Lord, we pray that um, uh, we remember this, we'll put your words into practice, and at times when we want to push you away, we actually draw closer to you, knowing that you have this world, our lives, in your hands and in control, and you care for us and you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.